Well, welcome to week three of the Alpha Course. It's great to have you guys back. Anybody here all three weeks? Three for three. Okay, you don't want to mess with that. All right? Don't mess up your perfect attendance because graduation is coming. And you want to be a part of that. It's amazing. So, so as we have uh, discussed over the last three weeks, um, previous ses two sessions, I should say, a major aspect and purpose of Alpha is to get us to begin, maybe for many of us, to think about, not just about what we believe, but why we believe what we believe. But not only that, you know, we are here in a, in a setting where we're making the centerpiece the Bible. And as you guys said in the first week, and when I asked how many of us had spent our lives or just regular time reading the Bible, very few of us in this room, less than 10, I think, that night of 121 actually raised their hands. And so here's an opportunity for us to, to find out what the Bible says. And the, the problem that we all have is that we get really, really busy. And in our 90-mile-an-hour lives, we just don't typically take the time to slow down and find out what life is really all about. And then we just begin to assume things. I believe this as a kid. I believe this all my life. My grandmother believed this. My grandfather believed this. My father didn't believe this. Whatever. So I'm not. But we, I, think, I think we would see, and the more we're going to be here and go through this, the more we're going to understand that we leave things to assumption that are too important. I left things to assumption that are just too important. And we just have these, like, these fast food lives. We're just in and out of these drive through lines all the time, whether it's the drive through line because we don't have time to have put dinner together. It's the drive through line at church, and we don't even remember, what did we have for dinner? Do you even, I mean, right now, you may not even remember what you had for dinner because we're just, we're just going, 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 going. And it causes us to just have this, this quick in, quick out lives, and we just aren't able to pay attention because we're so consumed by so many things and I just want to thank you for taking the time to think to come enjoy a meal get to meet some make some new friends and to think about what do I believe what have I believed my whole life what have I not believed my whole life what does the Bible actually say is it relevant is it true does it have anything to say for my life can I believe it and those are all the things that we're talking about so again thank you I promise you if you will humbly seek and listen, and we can learn together. You will, at the end of these 10 weeks, maybe say, you know, I still don't believe any of this stuff, but that was a good 10 weeks. It was a worthwhile 10 weeks. And we will just, again, rejoice that you came and spent this time with us. Because our agenda, well, our agenda is nothing but getting to know you and explain to you and express to you how our lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we believe the truth. We're not trying to force that on you. But the problem that I had, and maybe you have, is that we just assume things, and we, and we maybe prematurely judge. And we judge for maybe reasons of, we don't stop to get enough evidence. Uh, maybe we just have built-in prejudices that would make us think, ah, I don't know that I really want to believe that. Uh, but quick judgments and assumptions can bring us to the wrong conclusions, possibly. And I want to show you just a couple of videos before I want to do this, though. Before I want to do this. I want to, um, I'm breaking into this to make a promotion for the book that we're going to give you tonight, The Case for Easter. Uh, Lee Strobel wrote this book, uh, was not a believer in the resurrection at all. 
and through much investigative study and journalistic acumen, he came to believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so we have a copy of this book for you tonight. Um, if you're watching live stream, we want to get you this book too. Uh, we're going to get it to you free of charge. Um, just have to pay for shipping and handling. That'll be $49.95. Um, and if you act now, we'll get you another copy of the book free of charge, but at another $49.95 for less than $100, you can have these books for free. Isn't that great? So anyway, I want you to have those books. Don't we see that? So anyway, I want to show you a few videos that, t that show us that it could be dangerous to make, to judge too quickly. Mike, cut the lights. has a fractured fibula, given a mild sutter, so he can be able to go on tomorrow. Daddy's going to be so excited. That killed him. We trust you are here not judging too, too quickly. So anyway, glad you're here. And uh, just, I know, I think here's a fair question to ask ourselves. Have we assumed things about Jesus in the Bible without thoroughly or critically examining what we are banking our forever on? Again, I've talked to you this. I'll have my tape measure out here a lot. This represents physical life. And this represents life on the other side of our last heartbeat that almost every one of us in this room said we believe is going to last forever. But wouldn't you agree that if, if we believe something is going to last forever, that it just wouldn't make much sense if we wouldn't take at least as much time thinking about, critically examining what this is going to look like on the other side of my last heartbeat? We spend so much time just, we actually act like this is it. 50, 60, 70 years. And look, and if this is the continuum of life from beginning to end, does any of us really know where we are on that continuum? Does any of us have any idea that this might not be my last day on the planet? Do we know that? No, we don't know that. We don't expect that. But if we believe there's something on the other side of our last heartbeat, it just makes sense to look and think and discover and find out what the Bible says. Is there anything that I can really grasp from this. And so, as Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And again, your being here is 
I think, a testimony that you do not want to live an unexamined life. You know, simply assuming about who Jesus is begs this question. I want us to think about this. Is my faith position, my faith position, okay, your personal faith position, our faith position about who God is and his acceptance of me based on my definition of God or God's definition of God? Now think about that. What is the basis upon my faith position as it pertains to God, whether God is or God isn't, that Jesus is who he is or Jesus isn't who he says he is, or the Bible is what it proclaims to be or it's not what it proclaims to be? My faith position, is it basically what I believe based on what? Is it determining who God is based on what? And so I think this is a great great question. Is my faith position about who God is and his acceptance of me, big question, based on my definition of God or God's definition of God? I think that's something that we're going to be thinking about tonight as we get into this topic. Because, again, I personally had sincerely assumed things about God and the Bible. And as sincere as I was, I was sincerely wrong. Now, tell you a little bit more about myself. Growing up, I kind of grew up in a traditional Italian New Orleans family. Spaghetti and meatballs one Sunday. Spaghetti and dobe the next Sunday. Spaghetti and meatballs the next Sunday. Spaghetti and dobe the next Sunday. Oh. But I had, you know, my theology, you know, theology, the study of God, theos, logo, logeo, the study of God, my study, my theology was really more me-ology. It's really more me-ology. I constructed a God that suited me. Um, He was manageable. I defined him. And I worship, maybe some of you worship it, I worship the BVM. Any of you worship the BVM? Okay. What I'm talking about is not the BVM that you may be thinking about. I'm talking about the, the BVM. The blessed vending machine. So I'm confident maybe, maybe your BVM may not look like this, but you kind of worship there. And that's, and that's what I did. So basically, the way I got what I wanted out of the BVM was to do good works. And my good works were the currency whereby God, the BVM, had to give me what I wanted and not give me what I didn't want. And so I would deposit it, deposit into my good works bank the currency that I needed. So whenever I needed God to give me something, I accrued enough good works to where he had to produce for me. Now, the problem with that is that I basically made God in my image. Genesis 1, the very first book of the Bible, verse 26 says that God said, let us make man in our own image. And so male and female, God created them. Well, the gospel according to Frank said, I will make God in my own image. God on my terms. See, I sincerely believed in God or a God, but I created a God that was to my liking. I created a God that was manageable to me. So he fit into my meology. And I have my meology, and you probably have your urology. You, yeah. So you have your meology. And so, um, but when you, but if, if, if that's the way I think that God is made in my image and he is some 
heavenly vending machine that gives me what I want and doesn't give me what I don't want based upon the currency that I accrue in my own personal religious bank account, then I am greater than God because I determine what God should give me and what God shouldn't give me and how he should respond to me and how he shouldn't respond to me. And so God in some way becomes my cosmic butler, if you will. He is my cosmic butler to give me what I want, depending upon how good I have judged myself to be. And therefore, God has to come through for me. And so my good works basically pay God's salary. Now, think about that. My good works pay God's salary. And if, he's, if I'm not going to fire him and go for some other God, he better do what he's supposed to do. Now, I know that sounds crazy. But if you and I think about this. That's not a whole far off, a lot far off from where we actually live. Certainly not far off from where I have lived. And so, what do we do about that? So tonight's topic, why did Jesus die? Most historians will agree that Jesus died. But why did he die? Well, according to the Bible, the answer that you and I give to this question is the most important answer we will ever have to give right, give correctly. If true, our lives in the dash and our lives in the line are completely dependent upon how we answer this question personally. Why did Jesus die? C.S. Lewis said this, and I, again, we're going to see Lewis a lot. Remember, C.S. Lewis, professor of ancient English literature at Cambridge and Oxford universities in England, uh, was a devout Atheist, agnostic, became a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. This is what he says. Think about this, because we don't think about this. I didn't think about this. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Agreed. As I said last week, not only of no importance, it's dangerous. If true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Take it or leave it. See? But because I hadn't thought enough, because my meology was front and center for me, insisting God be the way I insisted him to be, it was mostly moderately important. Whenever I'd had enough cash in my pocket to go out with God so he can give me what I wanted, that's when he became important. But biblically, he could not have made, Lewis could not have made a more correct statement if what the scripture says is true. John Stott, famous author and writer wrote this. He said, the reason this, this was me. I read this. I said, this is me. The reason why many people give the wrong answers to questions about the cross. In other words, why Jesus died and even ask the wrong questions that they have carefully considered neither the seriousness of sin nor the majesty of God. Okay. The seriousness of sin or the majesty of God. Interesting. That was me. I'd never given any serious consideration that God may have a perspective of my sin, sin, let me just define that, my self-centeredness, my wanting what I want when I want it in the hell with you. That's sin. Me, my narcissistic self. Okay. I had never given any consideration that God could possibly have a different definition of sin than me. He couldn't possibly be more serious about sin than I. Because I had no clue what the Bible said and that the Bible contradicted my 
meology. So, because I had no clue, uh, I continued as I was until, until I began to see what the Bible had to say and realized, Houston, we have a problem. Frank, you got a problem. And again, remember, we are here to look at what the Bible says, not me. I will say this to you again. Don't believe a word I'm telling you. Again, let's look and see what the scripture says. And if that's, we can back that, that up. Because again, 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 I will say this over and over. If, if you leave here not believing a word of it, at least you'll know what it says now. You won't be able to say anymore. You know what? I lived my whole life, never really know what the Bible said. You won't be able to say that. Congratulations. Check that off your bucket list. If that was on your bucket list, you can do that. So the problem, here's the problem. God is holy. He is holy, holy. He is W-H-O-L-L-Y, H-O-L-Y. He is holy, holy, completely holy, all the time holy. You and me, not so much. Not so much. See, the God of the Bible says that you and I have fallen short of that which allows him as holy, perfect, to accept us, to accept us, to receive us. That's what the scripture says. So let's, well, where does it say that? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Okay. So here's what Paul writes to the church at Rome. Now, this is not the Roman Catholic Church, so you just don't want to confuse you if you're not familiar with the New Testament. This is a letter that Paul wrote in about 57 AD to the churches at Rome. This is about 300 and this is about three, almost just short of 300 years before Constantine declared Rome a quote unquote Christian nation. This is what Paul writes. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, let me translate a little bit for us. All. Now the word all in the Greek is a fascinating word. The word all in the Greek means, you may want to write this down. It means all. Okay, so if you write that, A-L-L, it means all. It means everybody. That means everybody in this room. Anybody breathing in here, that includes you. That includes me. All have, all have sinned. Okay, so I don't mind that. That's fine. This is when this bothers me. When it says, Frank has sinned. Stacy has sinned. Sinned. Oh, let's get even better. Stacy has lied. Okay. Uh, Jim has stolen. Okay. All of these things. Just put your name in there and fallen short of the glory of God or as a result are unacceptable to God. That's what the Bible says. Every one of us is in that category. Every last one of us. God's score of acceptability is 100%, 100% of the time. Isn't that good news? No, that's, that's lousy news. But don't worry, there's more lousy news that I'm about to give you right now. So here Paul goes on to write a little bit before in Romans, there is none righteous, not even one. So if we didn't get this, we can get this. There is none. None means... You may want to write this down too. None. Okay, none righteous, not even one. Not even, not even one. So the result of that. Okay, well, let's say, what does the word righteous even mean? So righteous is a legal term in the Bible. Righteous means in right standing. Righteous means legally not guilty. 
legally innocent. That's, that's what it means. There is none not guilty. There is none innocent. There is none acceptable, not even one. Now, don't worry. I'm going to turn the corner here. So just don't leave before I, I get a chance to turn, turn the corner here. So there is none righteous, not even one. So bi- biblical righteousness, Bible's righteousness, is, legal, is a legal judicious term of not guilty. Now, meological righteousness, okay, meological righteousness is dependent upon my validating performance record. I love this term, validating performance record. My VPR, Tim Keller, great teacher of the Bible. I I love this. So, in other words, this is your performance record that in your mind, in my mind, my performance record whereby I believe God has to accept me. I am validated based upon my performance, right? So my performance, in my opinion, validates me before God. That would be meology. That's basically where I was. I earn my acceptance. Now, many assert or believe this, and I get this, I did, that the way we're accepted by God is through keeping the Ten Commandments. Okay? By keeping the Ten Commandments. Um, But let me ask you a question. How many of you have kept all Ten Commandments all the time? Never broken one of the Ten Commandments. Please, don't be shy. Don't be humble. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? Let's just go. No. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I, know you, I know you guys do. Okay, well, okay so, here's, so there was a survey done about a, about a thousand, I think it was just over a thousand people, and they asked how many could say all Ten Commandments. It was fascinating. 14% knew all ten. I thought that was fascinating. 140 people knew the Ten Commandments, which is fascinating. So about 14%. But 80%, 80% of the people knew this. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. 80% of the people knew that. So my, my thought then was this. Um, the vast majority know less about getting through the pearly gates than they know about getting through the golden arches. I thought that was cute. Thank you, Stacey. So again, I had no idea that the Bible taught this realm, this impossible realm of of perfection. That I'm I'm not perfect, I'm not acceptable to God. So let's just look at a couple of things that Jesus said. Um, Here in the Gospel of Mark, the 7th chapter, the 20th verse. This is what Jesus wrote. Jesus says, he says, for from within, 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 out of the heart of man and women come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all of this before lunch. All these evil things come from within and they defile the person. They defile the person, make unacceptable the person. So Jesus is telling Every one of us, none of us who are righteous, that inside of our hearts, we got a problem. It's not my parents. It's not the government. It's none of these things. It's inside of my own heart. Inside of my own heart. And so, and then he goes on in Romans 6, he says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, let's just talk about that for a minute. Now, I think last week, real quickly, we talked about the fact that in the Bible, in the third chapter of Genesis, 
In the second chapter of Genesis, God tells Adam that the day he eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he will surely die. Now, death in the Bible does not mean annihilation. It means separation. You shall surely die. So when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, whatever that fruit was, they died immediately to their relationship with God and a separation took place. They began to die physically. And in terms of their relationship, that began right away. And the division between husbands and wives and families and nations and ethnicities continues to this this day. And so the wages of sin, the wages of self-centeredness, the wages of all the things Jesus just talked about that come out of our heart is separation, eternal separation from him. And then Isaiah, some 600 years before Christ, in the 59th chapter, the prophet Isaiah, okay, about, about around 600 years before Jesus, he writes this. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation, death, separation, between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear you. Okay, so the scripture is making it clear that we have a problem. There is an issue between God and us because of our sinfulness. And there is a separation. And because we are not perfect, we, how are we going to cross that forward? How, what are we going to do with that? Well, all religions of the world have a validating performance record in which we try to deal with the chasm between us and God. Now, I'm going to give you a, a little comparative religion class right now. That, that I could have saved you a lot of money if you took a comparative religion class in less than three minutes. Here we go. So here's world religions, and here's the religion of Christianity over here, okay? So here's, here's religions of the world. and So every religion of the world, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's Islam or Buddhism or some actually culture, some, some things that would call themselves Christian, but do not hold on to the tenets of the scripture would say that you just got to live a good life. And some of us are better than others. Some of us get closer than others, but none of us quite get there. And, and God, you know, you know, like with your kids, if the kids can't pay the mortgage or the bill or something, you'll just make up for what they can't pay, right? Wrong. We're not doing that. But, but that's, that's basically how we think. That's basically how we think. And so these religions, again, the religion of the world, you got Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism, Buddhism, the greatest religion now in the world, whatever, you know, that religion is just, just burgeoning. So every religion of the world, I don't, it doesn't matter what the religion is, teaches whether it's, whether it's with all due respect to Islam or Buddhism. You know, Islam, it's the five pillars of faith of Islam. It's the eightfold path of enlightenment to the Buddhism or any other one, the Ten Commandments, whatever they may be. It's the, saying this, you're here, God's here, good luck. Now, I'm being facetious, but that's basically what it's saying. The only religion on the planet that's different is biblical Christianity. Doesn't mean it's true. I'm just telling you, it's different. It's different. The God of Christianity is one tough dude. He didn't put up with anything. He is holy, holy, holy all the time. He doesn't sweep anything under the rug. But the difference with what the God of the Bible is, is that... He, according to the Bible, sends his son 
to pay for our sinfulness, our rebellion, our self-centeredness. And he lives the life we could not live. And every one of us in this room knows it. And he died the death you and I would have had to die. Had he not come to basically take the place of those who would receive him and believe him. Fascinating. Again, not asking you to believe it. But this is supported in every way as true. So let's just turn the corner. Let's talk about the solution or the remedy. Okay. So here, Peter, in Peter's first letter to the church, is Peter's writing this to believers. He says, And he himself, that is Christ himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin. These underlinings are my emphasis. Die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds by his cross he's saying you were healed he's telling that to those who are biblical believers they believe in christ he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die now remember what's the word die mean in scripture separation right so that we would be separated from sin now he died so that we would no longer be separated from him, but we would be separated from sin. That's, that's what he's saying. And live to righteousness. Can remember that word? Legal standing. Legal word. Not guilty. Proclaimed innocent. But not because of our doing. Proclaimed innocent. The Bible says because of his doing. Proclaimed innocent. Okay, so, so just to give you an idea of this. That we might die to sin. So our, if this, this right here, this is, this is our, our death in sin. And um, I just I want to show you this right here. This is in here somewhere. It's hard to get out this medical procedure I had. Okay, so this right here. Um, so, so I was, my whole life, I was plugged in. If I can do this. I was... I was plugged into death. Okay, that's me. My heart was plugged into death. And you don't know how horrible this feels right now. Um, but I was plugged into death. My life was death. That was it. I was plugged in. There was everything coming into me and out of me was death because it was separated from God. Okay? So he bore our sins on the cross that we might die to sin. This heart. Die to sin. And live to righteousness, be plugged into another life, a life that is holy, a life that is acceptable, but based on his holiness and acceptance, not mine. This is amazing. You should see what this feels like. So, um, so do you see that we, we've been totally, according to the Bible, we've taken, been taken out of that life of death and play, I hope no one's taking a picture of this, life of death and placed into the life of life. Not our life, but we've been infused into the life of God. Now, next week, we're going to talk about this. If you'll come back next week, even if you don't come back next week, we're going to talk about this next week. <laughs> we're going to talk about um, this to where it's going to make more sense, I believe, to you. I, I, I'll promise you, or your money back. It will make more sense to you than you, than, than you can imagine. And so being plugged into life is, again, finding our life not from our efforts, not my meological efforts, but from Jesus' effort to plug me into him and give me, we'll talk about this 
next week a brand new heart, if you will, that derives life and acceptance and joy from his life. Okay? Excuse me while I take this thing out here. This is, you know, have you noticed I've been trying to hold this thing in from, fall, from falling out? The things I do for you people. <laughs> All right. All right, so I, I, I hope the illustration worked more than just for humor. I hope it did work for Okay, so, and then here's Peter writes this. For Christ died for sins, okay, all of our rebellion, once, once, one time, for all, once for all time, and once for all who would believe. The righteous, that would be Christ. For the unrighteous, that would be us, to bring us to God to take us out of death, to bring us to God. Here's what I love about this. The God of the Bible doesn't say, look, I forgive you, but I don't like you. I, I, I really don't want anything to do. I forgive you, but just get away. You bother me. Th- this is not the God of the Bible. Look at what he says. Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to do what? You can read it up there bigger than I can. To bring us to God. Now, that's great news. If that's true, that's great news. What he's saying is he's bringing us. Christ makes us acceptable to God. He, he does that. See, because before then, I, I could not have done that. Before, uh, everything else was, was wrong. I mean, and God, in spite of me, accepts me. God, in spite of me, accepts me. So, again, again and, and, and let me just say that we're worse than we think we are. We need this more than we realize we do. Because it's not just, I mean, imagine for a moment, just imagine this. Imagine that there was a thought monitor that was propped on top of your head. Okay, everything you think is seen. Okay, it's not coming out of your mouth, but whatever you're doing gets seen. So you go to your boss, you've been working remotely. For months you've been working remotely. And he's wanting to know why your production is not quite what it used to be. You're saying, well, sir, uh, you know, I, electricity went out a lot in my house and I couldn't get on the computer and all this. And then, you know, he's seeing you at the, the third tee at City Park Golf Course. And uh, you just can't, can't do it. I mean, or have any of you ever had this happen? Gentlemen, the wife has bought a new dress. She puts it on, and she wants you, well, she asks you this question. Uh, sweetheart, um, does my butt look big in this dress? <laughs> and gentlemen, at that moment, fake a heart attack, whatever you need to do. But, but you're not, oh, no, dear, you look exquisite. But that stinking monitor... It's a sausage factory, just the sausage being just jammed into the lining. So, so the thing is, we're worse, folks. Though. Can you imagine if all of our thoughts got out? Can you imagine if everything you thought about the person that you're sitting next to at the table tonight, they could actually see that? It would be horrible or wonderful. Um, so here's, here's the thing. We are worse than we can imagine. But 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is more amazing than we can imagine. More amazing. God's love for us. What the Bible says is true. You've never seen love like him, like this. It's fascinating. And this, and so the cool thing is, biblically, Jesus brings me to God by his performance. Meology brings me to God based on my performance. A huge, huge difference. The Bible disagreed with my meology completely. One of my favorite scriptures that helps me here. This changed everything for me when I read this scripture. Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, the region of the Galatians in Asia Minor. He says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Okay, just stop with me for a minute. Grace, let's, let's define words here. Grace. Grace, you've heard it's called unmerited favor. It's receiving what I do not deserve. That is the grace of God. According to what the Bible says is, I am brought to God, acceptable to God, based upon what Jesus did in spite of what I did and what I do. That's, that's what the grace of God is. So I don't treat the grace of God, God's acceptance of me, as meaningless. For if keeping the law, keeping the rules, keeping the moral code could make me right with God, there was no reason for Jesus to die. Think about that. Do you get that? Jesus could have just come down from heaven, gotten a whistle, a little clipboard, given us some coaching tips, you know, then patted us on the butt and just said, do your best. Go get them. He would not have had to die. He dies because he must be the payment for my rebellion. I mean, there's so much more to be said about that. But as Adam, the first man, rebelled, we'll talk about this a lot next week, Jesus, the second man, came in his stead and lived the perfect life that we couldn't. And he paid the penalty for all of our rebellion against and rejection of God and our wanting to be God. Fascinating. If I could be good, think about this. I never thought about this. If my life could be good enough by my attempt to keep the Ten Commandments or whatever laws I put in rules and moral code I put in my own heart, if that would have been enough, what the heck is Jesus dying for? If it was incumbent upon me, what's the big deal? That's something to think about if you've never thought about that before, as I had never thought about that before. See, this quote here, just follow me here. Jesus did not come to simply be an example impossible to emulate. He came to be our savior. Validating performance record religion gives us rules and moral codes for us to attempt to improve our self-determining Meology, but VPR, Validating Performance Record Religion, does not give us a savior to receive because in Validating Performance Religion, you don't need to be saved. You just need to be improved. Just need to be a little bit better than the person next to you. <laughs> Says who? But that was me. That was my meology. That's what I believed. And it doesn't matter what religious draping you put over it. It's basically saying, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. I'm building up religious currency in my pocket 
so that God has to accept me. That was me. Sincere. If the Bible's true, sincerely wrong. So, but until you know and you grab the bad news and you buy the bad news, you're not going to really be that interested that the news is so very good based on accepting the news, how bad and how challenging it is. But the question is, if it's improved, how improved? How improved do we have to be? How good is good enough? The Bible says Jesus accomplished for us what in a million reincarnations and lifetimes you and I could not accomplish. Because God, unlike us, is perfect all the time, as I said, in all of his ways. Let me just give you an example here of the the mercy of the grace of God. Let's just look at some of his attributes as the Bible shows us, show them to us. The Bible says God is love. The Bible says God is holy. He is merciful. He is wise. He is wisdom. He is knowledge. He is patience. Man, aren't you glad about all those things? Aren't you glad? I mean, don't you want a God that's all those things? But there's one more attribute on here that I'm not so sure I'd be so excited about as a meologist. He is justice. He is justice all the time. He is just all the time. But how can God be just, holy, just all the time? You sin, you die. And merciful. Well, let's go to the courtroom. Let's say that I am a judge in a court, right? I'm a judge in the court, and um, who do I want to put? Jeff, let's just say, Jeff, you're in my courtroom, okay? I won't have, you don't have to do anything. You can sit there. I won't do anything. But Jeff is, Jeff is, well, he's been out of work for a while. He's going to a, he was going to an interview, and he got caught speeding. He was going 50 miles an hour in a school zone, okay? Going 50 miles an hour in a school zone. Now, the penalty for that is, in my court, it's $10,000. Or you go away for a long time, okay? Now, I've known Jeff for a long time, but it doesn't matter because it's it's a Louisiana court. So I've known Jeff for a long time. Um, And so I said, Jeff, how do you plead? And Jeff says, uh, well... Your Honor, I was, I, was in a, I was in a rush. I've been out of work for a while. I was going to an interview. I was thinking about the interview. I was practicing in my mind the answers I would give. And just, I, just went through the, I just went through the school zone. I'm sorry. And so I, I said, Jeff, come to the bench. And so Jeff comes to the bench. And I said, Jeff, man, that's crazy. But look, I'm going to let you go this time. But if I ever catch you in my court again, I'm going to hang you. You got that? And he says, yes, yes, sir, thank you. Okay. Mercy? A whole lot of mercy, huh? How did justice do? <laughs> justice did not do very well. Well, let's go back to the court for a moment. Uh, we're back in court. Jeff gives me that spiel about, you know, being out of work for a long time and everything else. And, um, and I say, Guilty. Find us $10,000. Pay the bailiff. How justice do that time? Pretty good. That's the, that's, that's the code. How did mercy do? Not well at all. Let's go back into the courtroom. 
I declare, you know, I judge guilty as charged, $10,000. But because I love Jeff so much, I come from behind the bench. I pull off my judicial robes. I pull out my checkbook or my Venmo, and I write a check for $10,000 made payable to the court and give it to the bailiff. Justice served, mercy extended. See, this is how a holy God doesn't compromise who he is and still can accept us by being both just and the one who justifies, the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me just give you the scripture. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We talked about that earlier, right? All have lied, cheated, stolen, whatever, and fall short or not acceptable to God. And, look at this, are justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption. Okay, the word redemption. He bought us back. He bought us back from death. I don't need to do that. He bought us back from death. And he gave us his life. He redeemed us from death and he gave us life. That's what the Bible says, which is in Christ Jesus. I put that word in, in red intentionally because that, those two letters are going to make up most of what we do next week. That word, that little word in, which is in Christ Jesus. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness, right? His perfection, his, his, uh, all that he is at the present time. So as to be, here it is, just And the one, because he's the only one who justifies, makes not guilty, makes us right in God's standing. Those who have faith, there's that word, in Jesus. He did it to demonstrate his love for us, being the holy, just God that he is, and the merciful, kind God that he is is in ways that we so desperately needed. See, for the wages of sin is separation from God. But here's the rest of that verse. But the free gift, there's that word gift again. The free gift of God is eternal life for those who are in, there's that in, Christ Jesus. Those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Wages are what you work for. A gift is what you receive because you're loved. You don't work for a gift, or it's not a gift. You don't earn a gift, or it's not a gift. A gift is a gift that's free and given freely. The free gift of God is not eternal death, but eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, it's, it's interesting. I, I wasn't aware of this, but let's just say for a moment, I'm not going to have time to come down, but let's just say for a moment, Dolly, this is a gift that you need. This will change your life. This will save your life. Now, I want to give this to you because I want your life to be saved. Um, how much will you have to work for it for me to give it to you if it's a gift? Could you earn it if it's a gift? No, you can't. It wouldn't be a gift. 
but I want you to have it. How much good is it doing you in when it's in my hand? When does it do you good? When you, when you receive it. When you receive it, right? Now, I may say to you, I, I want you to, it's going to change your life. And you may slap it away. Say, I don't want your stupid gift. I got this. See, God comes to us with his son and says, I have a gift for you. And you need this gift because you cannot earn, no matter how good you are, you think you are based on your own relativistic meology. He says, I come to give you a gift that's going to give you life forever. Life in the dash and life forever in the line. He comes and extends it. The question is, will you Humble yourself. Because when I receive it, I am then saying, you're right. I can't do anything myself to save, rescue, deliver myself. I'm counting on you to do that. The one who gives the life. So either it's going to be up to you and me, or it's going to be up to someone who is so great in his mercy and his love that has come to do for us what we never could have done for ourselves. That's clearly what the Bible says over and over and over again. So when we respond, we receive. And what happens? The pollution of sin is removed. The power of sin is broken. We know because we know the truth. We know the truth of who Jesus is and, and that he loves us and how he loves us. And we begin to get to know him more and more and more. And the penalty the separation is paid. It is all taken away by the work of the cross. It's why Jesus died. That's why he died. To do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. To express a love that is infinite and immeasurable. And so a scripture that you may be familiar with this one again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not be forever separated from him, but have eternal life. Again, I want you to do this because I want this to be, I want this to hit every one of us individually because I believe that's if what the Bible's saying is true and God desires this for us. He wants every one of us to see this individually. For God so loved, put your name in there, that he gave his only begotten son, that if, put your name in there, believes in him, put your name in there, should not perish, but have eternal life. Let me just ask you a question. You don't have to answer. <laughs> How do you feel about that if that's true? What does that do to you if that's true? How could that possibly change you forever and right now if the God who created everything puts your name in there and says, for you, my son died so that I could forgive you and bring you to myself. That's why Jesus died. That's why he died. Now, I just want to encourage you that, um, what do I do with that, Frank? If that's true, what do I do with that? Well, when someone 
offers you a gift and you receive it, I typically say, thank you, if I receive it. Um, at, at each of your tables tonight, I, I, there's a little card that I would like every one of you to have. Again, you're not joining anything with this card, uh, but I, I'd, I'd like you to have this just because as you think about these things, um, I've had people at Alpha tell me, you know, I just, I, I can't go to sleep at night after Alpha and I just stare at the ceiling and um, I just think about some of the things that have been said that I've never thought about before. But when, the night I surrendered my life to Christ, I talked to him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is just talking to God. That's, if you want to learn more about prayer, that's week six of Alpha. But, and I just, just prayed. I don't know what I prayed, but I want to just ask you to go through this card with me right now. Again, these are not magic words. They don't mean a thing. The value of the card is the ink and the card. But if you say something with your heart, if this is, would something be, be something that you meant in your heart, this would be something saying to God, I receive and believe what you did on the cross for me. I accept why Jesus died. Not just why Jesus died, but why he died for me. And so this would be it. I just want you to read this with me. And if it's something that God is working in your heart right now, don't just read it. Say it to yourself, to God. God, I know that I have been a meologist trying to improve and save myself on my own terms, not yours. I realize now that I need you and want you to be my savior. I cannot save myself. By faith, I humbly receive your gift of eternal life. I believe you are the son of God who died on the cross in payment for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day to give me new life. Thank you for coming to earth to save me. Thank you for bearing and forgiving my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord and my Savior now and forever. Amen. Amen. Now, keep that card. Because I don't know where you may be, whether you believe this or don't believe this or where you are. That's between you and God. That is none of my business. But if there is a God, and if what the Bible says is true, he could not love you more than he does or prove it more than he did by sending his son to die. Now, next week, uh, session four. Okay, look, just come next week. All right, just, just next week. That's all I'm asking until the week, until next week. And, but... Um, I don't want you to miss next week. Can I be sure of my faith or can I be sure about what I believe? Um, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you according to the Bible, okay, true or not, but according to the Bible, again, at least you believe it or not, at least you know what it says, that the Bible says that God wants you and me to be absolutely as sure as we can be sure of where we are going to spend life after our last heartbeat. I know a lot of us say, well, when my heart, I hope I'm going to heaven. I think I'm going to heaven. I pray I'm going to heaven. I keep my fingers crossed I'm going to heaven. Hope I die on a good day. You know, it's, those are all the things that we think, because how can you know? Well, 
What if God says you can know? For sure. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Again, not anything I'm telling you. We're going to pull everything that I'm pulling you out of the scriptures. So I'm so grateful you're here. Thanks for coming. Let's take a quick break and uh, hope to see you next week.